this weird habit of having episodes that aren't really phenomenal. They're just enjoyable. I felt this way a lot about Voyager, too. It's like, oh, this is a good episode. I was good about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is actually a weird one, because everyone who went into this went into this with the intent of writing a horror story, but I never really got that vibe from this. This is a character study. Now, this is not the first time we've gone in-depth into Odo's character, but that's not quite what I mean. This is more an examination of Odo through the lens of someone else. We actually spend far more time and effort on Dr. Moira's character, Moira's character, than we do on Odo himself. But almost all of that serves to, to help give us a new light, a new viewpoint, if you will, on Odo. There's a couple of other little character tidbits here and there as well. I like Cork's thing at the beginning. Um, first of all, I like the idea that Odo would his hobby would be death rituals. Something about that just sort of fits in my brain. I don't know how better to describe that. But I also love the idea that Quark legitimately didn't know, oh, this is his... Oh, 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 okay. Whose body do I have? <laughs> oh my gosh, what, what corpse have I purchased, you know? But I also rather enjoy the Ferengi death ritual in itself. This isn't the first time it's showcased. I just really love the concept. One of the things I love that Star Trek does, not all the time, but periodically, especially on DS9, is goes into basically just a cultural thing. What does the Ferengi death ritual mean to anyone? Us outside of one episode ever, the Ferengi death ritual doesn't actually mean anything. It's, it's always just a background plot point, but it helps to service their character, and it helps to service their culture. It gives us a little bit more of an insight into how they are and what they are. Just more, more brushstrokes right? I like it. I, I don't have much else to add. It, it makes perfect sense. I want all of my pieces, uh, what is it? It's like, uh, it's not desiccated. They like freeze dry it or something. They describe the whole process in more detail later. I don't even know if at this point in time they'd really designed all of that yet. It was just pieces of a person. Anywho. So then Dr. Mora shows up. Now, first of all, Dr. Mora is played by James Sloyan. Originally, he was going to be played by René Bergenois, but there were significant issues with that because he basically had to have two completely separate makeup jobs for what is effectively the same script, and that was going to just really push out the amount of recording time because he has to go through a lot of makeup in the morning in order to get into his auto outfit. So, yeah, this was something that he wasn't really involved with. This is something they were just kind of like, eh, maybe we can't actually make this work, so fine. We'll get another actor in. Now, I think this was for the betterment of the episode. Not that René Bergenois is not a good actor, not, not at all. But James Sloyan is amazing. He has only been in four roles across all of Star Trek, and yet every single one of them has been, at the very least, great. Uh, he played the wonderful Admiral over in The Defector, Admiral Jerrock, I want to say. That doesn't sound right. Nah. Uh, he played the, the crazed scientist over in Voyager. I forget the name of that episode. And, of course, he played uh, a certain Klingon over on TNG as well. He's, it's good stuff. I like him. I like him a lot. And, of course, here he plays Dr. Mora. He manages... One of the things I like about Sloyan is he knows how to pull a precise performance out of his characters. Here he portrays someone who is not evil, who is not a jerk, right? But at the same time, someone who is absent-minded and not particularly socially conscious. He's smart, affable, kind, and doesn't quite know how to deal with other people. Probably my favorite scene that really demonstrates this is he walks up to Odo, 
And he's like, oh my God, yeah, you're still working on the ears, but the uniform, is that actually part of you? Now, this isn't being something he's saying to embarrass Odo. There's no malicious intent here. He's not needling him. He is gushing about him. Oh my God, kind of like a scientist would. He also, uh, and of course, Odo is super awkward in this whole thing, which is nice. There's this wonderful pit where Mora actually flat out says, oh, you're getting better at this social integration thing. It's a recurring trend throughout the episode that Mora himself has no idea how to socially integrate with other people. He knows how to scientifically approach matters, but that's about it. My favorite example of this is on the shuttle, or uh, the runabout, excuse me, <laughs> where they're, uh, he's like, Odo, Odo, tell him the story. And then he just kind of jumps over Odo's words and starts talking over him. Again, not, you can tell based on his performance, and credit to the actor, based on his performance, you can tell he's not doing it to be a dick. He's not like, oh, you're telling it wrong, or I should be the one telling it. He's just so enthused about it. And of course, he's still not quite used to interacting with other people. Considering what we know about him, and we'll eventually learn about him, this is someone who was working on Odo, and we could tell this even now, during the Cardassian occupation. Think about what that kind of person will do to escape the horrors of that situation, right? Anywho, <clears throat> so there's this whole fatherly thing going throughout the episode. And what I love about that is, at first glance, I thought the episode was trying to convince me that Mara was basically the surrogate father for Odo, but I realized that's actually not quite true. Mora himself is trying to convince Odo that he's his father. He is almost desperate for that. Later on, he admits to Jadzia Dax how much he misses him. How he always thought he'd come home someday, and he's going to have to get used to him not coming home. And like he, You can just see he doesn't quite know what to do with that. He doesn't know how to deal with it. He wants to have that son. You, can get, you get the impression, uh, I don't remember if they ever say this outright, that he never had biological children. So Oda really is the closest thing to a son he has ever had and probably ever will have. And he clings to him. <laughs> quick aside, really quick. So Cisco, you know, basically tells uh, Jake, "All right, no, you, you've got to go learn about Klingon opera." Why? It's that old, <laughs> it's that old argument. Well, am I ever going to use long division in my life? The thing is, I actually agree with Cisco's response to this because this is my own approach to education, at least at a fairly young age. And that approach is very simple. You really don't know what you're going to be interested in yet. You don't know what you're going to be doing. And you should probably get as wide of a breadth of information, knowledge, and general exposure to knowledge as possible, like Klingon opera. Now, this is, this is my opinion. I know I'm straying just a little bit into controversial territory, which is ridiculous that this is controversial, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but that, that, you know, it, it, at a younger age, you need to learn as much as possible about as much as possible. Leave the specialization stuff for the college years. Then you could really focus on something. Until you get there, well, right? And I like how he approaches that. I also like how he get, he grants the request to Odo having a runabout before he even asks what it's for. Of course. What for? It shows a lot about the, in, the increased amount of respect and trust that he has in Odo that's kind of been engendered over the last season and a half. Um, so, you know, then they go to the planet, and blah, blah, blah. I kind of already talked about that scene. I do want to mention that... Uh, there's this nice little bit where Odo flat out asks, will he be all right? After, they, you know, after they've inhaled the gas and, oh, God, you know, will he, is he going to be okay? 
I like that because we see in this episode, as I've already mentioned, how Mora does not really know how to interact with other people socially. What we see, though, is that Odo, even though he is worlds better at interacting with other people socially than he was, we saw this back in, um, oh, what's the name of the episode? Uh, Necessary Evil. Uh, back in Necessary Evil, we saw how much worse Odo was back in the day than he is now. But he's still not super comfortable, right? He's still not just suavely serrating himself. Or he, he does not look relaxed, I guess is the word I want to use, when interacting with others. And we see that he does obviously legitimately care about Dr. Mora, but in kind of a weird way, and in a way that he doesn't really know how to express, and probably, to be completely blunt, doesn't really know how... It doesn't understand himself. There's a nice little bit earlier on, which I kind of skipped over, about where he's talking about uh, all the stories from back in the lab. And now there's a Petri dish right there. And it gets across the idea, and Mora agrees with this even, that Oda was the one who reached out to him. He didn't quite realize that Oda was a sentient, sapient being. And that's how the progress, the work, continued. The exploring of who and what you are, and blah, 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 blah. And... Um, it's interesting because it, it brings to mind a line towards the end of the episode. You had to find a voice loud enough for me to hear. I feel like a lot of the relationship, the, the cooperation, the work between Odo and Mora back in the day was all about Odo finding a voice loud enough for Mora to hear. Because, well, I already explained why. And there's this nice little bit where O'Brien is walking through Jeffrey's tube talking about his wife and his day. And she'll ask, how was your day? I'll just say, oh, it was fine. I don't think she really wants to know. I like that bit. Very human. Very O'Brien, as ever. And then he finds the death. Now, this is interesting. As we know, as you know, uh, Odo is the one behind it all. That's actually kind of apparent relatively early on, because it's very quickly proven that this was done by some kind of shapeshifter, and it's relatively quickly proven that it wasn't the one they brought on board. That one just dies. Makes you wonder what it was, doesn't it? Anywho, so having, you know, having discovered its remains, they emphasize that it couldn't have lived outside its own environment, which means that Odo, in his state, freed it, which led to it effectively suffocating and dying a horrible death. Something about that just is wonderfully ironic. Anywho, so they talk about the deduction thing. I love Mora's attempt to connect to him. So he, he tries to use a parallel between his own scientific reasoning and Odo's deductive criminal investigation, you know, you know his, his thinking, his, his method of processing information, because he's just so desperate to find something at this point, anything that will actually connect him to his wayward son. And then he praises him. He flat out says, I'm very proud of you. I hope you know that. Like, you get the impression of just how difficult this is for him to do. And that's all important, because it all builds up to the scene where the two of them have the argument. Now, first of all, I hope you paid attention to the fact that he identified almost immediately, and again, James Sloyan does it perfectly, that that was Odo's DNA or whatever. So he doesn't tell her. He just says, okay, well, let me know. Then he wanders off to tell Odo, hey, that was you. Because he already figured it out. He also applies scientific reasoning in a criminally deductive manner to try and figure out what the hell's going on. Makes sense. Then they argue, 
And that argument really is the culmination of this episode in many ways, because what we see now, and forgive me for kind of skipping through it because I just don't have a lot to say about the details, but the buildup has all been Mora trying to reach out to Odo, and Odo smacking his hand away at every turn. Mora finally just starts actually venting and angry at him because he's so frustrated at this. He's been trying, and he's been desperate, and he's been, maybe I try this, maybe if I talk to this, maybe if I talk to his friends, oh God, maybe there's there something, anything I could do, and Odo is just consistently bad-mouthing him and pissing him off. It's like, he just gets sick of it. And he finally lets it out. He finally lets his own anger out, which is exactly what Odo does, too. Both of them finally vent. It's just Odo turns into a gibbering monster in the process. But before we get to the gibbering monster point, I also want to mention the other motivation behind Mora was his fear. Now, obviously, Mora doesn't really know the Federation or the people who work with Odo. I don't think for a second that they would have locked him away or whatever. They would have just tried to scan this and figure out what's going wrong. If nothing else, you can't tell me. Kira wouldn't fight for that. And probably Cisco as well. But Mora doesn't know that. What's Mora know? Well, he knew the Cardassians and whatever Bajorans are in charge right now, and that's basically it. So he's afraid. He's afraid they're going to take his son away or hurt his son. His only connecting per the only person he connects to in the whole frickin' world, the whole galaxy, is that man right there, and, and God, I need to help him. So he doesn't tell Dax because he's afraid. And what are we when we're afraid? <laughs> it, uh, it adds to the whole scene because for all of his anger, his anger is motivated by caring. It's not like he hates Odo. It's not like he despises him. It is literally the opposite of that. One of the things that a lot of people don't seem to understand in real life, I've noticed, is when you truly critique something or when you truly are angry about something, it's not because you don't care or you don't like it. It's the exact opposite. It's because you love something or because you very much care about something. Enough to do ruminations on Star Trek, for example. I love Star Trek. <laughs> so, and I also love how he's never accusatory. He opens the line of dialogue by basically saying, we still don't know exactly what kind of life form you are. Maybe this sort of thing has been happening and we don't know it. At no point does he point a figure. At, at, at no point does he say, this is your fault. At no point does he accuse Odo of being a criminal. He just thinks there's something wrong that they need to resolve. So, Odo flips out. They trap him there. Mora is seen, and again, wonderful credit to James Loyan. His grief. What have I done? To you? I, I've done it to you again, Odo. I've imprisoned you again. God, what have I done? And it's such a cliched line, but he says it perfectly. What have I done? And he just cat, ca catches Odo. It's like I'm. You could just see it there. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And of course. You had to speak in a voice loud enough for me to hear. And he's so hesitant when he's holding Odo's hand. It's just, I'd like, I, I, I'd like to be a part of your life here on the station. I'd like to be some part of you. I know you're, in, in the way he says that, we know. He doesn't say this to Odo, but we know what he is saying is, I accept you're not coming home. We all have to face that someday if we have children. Someday our kids leave the nest, and they're not coming home, probably ever. 
but he still wants to be a part of that new life that Odo has found. And Odo's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And thankfully, we will actually see Mora in the future. So this is a recurring guest star situation. Not as much as I would have liked, but still, better than nothing. Again, good episode. Don't have a lot to say. I hope you've enjoyed, and I'll see you guys next time.